Hi guys, Rob here, podcast editor for Everymind. This week, founder Paul speaks to William Pullen of Dynamic Running Therapy. William explains how running can be the secret to improving our mental health. If you like this episode, don't forget to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes. Also, if you want to find out more about the great work that Everymind does, head over to everymindatwork.com. Enjoy the show. So William, welcome to the Everymind podcast. How are you today? Thank you, Paul. I'm very well, thank you. Good to hear. Good to hear. So, obviously, I'm I'm excited for this episode. Obviously, I think it's maybe a a, a biased one because I'm a, a an avid runner, and also mindfulness has helped a lot. And obviously, as the author of the book Running with Mindfulness, um, I kind of want to firstly ask you quite a big, broad question. But what led to where you are today? Um, well, if that question is how did I become a, a, a running therapist or how did I become a running therapist who wrote a book on mindful running and, and, and running therapy, the, quest, the answer then would be this, that, um, that around 12 years ago, I had a little bit of a mental breakdown uh, after, well, I won't go into all the reasons because we'll be here for a day or two if I did. But I took up running and psychotherapy after um, after my doctor gave me some antidepressants, which made life easier. And um, uh, yeah, you know, it made all the difference. Uh, you know, I wouldn't have got moving without without the probably without the antidepressants. It would have taken me a lot longer. But once, but I knew that getting out would be good for me. So out I went. I found a friend, I started moving, we started running really slowly. I don't know how long you've been running for, but I was not a runner. I was everything but a runner, really. Uh, and simultaneously, I was doing, I, I took up psychotherapy. I took up anything I could to get out of this dreadful state I was in. And uh, then, I traded, then I trained to become a psychotherapist after about two years of that. Um, and then about six or five years after that, I became a therapist. Amazing. And in terms of, if you don't mind sharing that almost transition in a way, I'm sure it was a long one. I've been there myself from, like you say, that breakdown period to, to doing a bit of running. Um, was it a constant like period of, of you, you know, running and feeling a little bit better or was it almost like an instant, wow, I feel a lot better after, you know, doing this for a short period of time? George, you know, it almost was because as you'll know, um, you know, depression is all about that sense of powerlessness. You know, it's not just the despair, things won't get any better, things can't get any better, and if they do, they won't get better for me. Mm. It's also, I just don't have what it takes to change things. And I think this is why I loved um, running and, and psychotherapy together, but particularly just the running, is because, you know, it got me out and went at a time in my life where I really felt like I couldn't do anything. And although it wasn't easy to get out of bed and get to the park, um, every day that I got from A to B and then A to C and A to D, I really felt that I was, I, I had achieved something. It was something very doable, I guess. You know, Matt Haig's always going on about in his, in his book, which is such a good book, about these lists of doable things and, um, and doable things, I think is the way, uh, the, the way back from the darkness. And, and uh, it, it, it just creates that little chink of light that comes into the room when you think that it's black and destined to be black forever. Running's a very doable thing for that. And, you know, all you've got to do is put one foot in front of the other. And even if you are, you know, wildly overweight um, or a heavy smoker or drug user or whatever it may be, uh, you can definitely still do 20 meters. And the next day you can do 30 meters, you know. 
everybody can jog a little bit, unless of course you, you've got uh, health problems. But generally speaking, it's doable for most people. And uh, and if you start slowly, uh, it, it's I think it's one of the easiest ways to start feeling physically good and and mentally good and good about yourself. Yeah, and I can relate to that. It's, it's as you say, almost that small win. So you know, when you're in that dark hole, I remember almost comparing that pool to the old pool that could go and run a, a 5k and, you know, could go and do this and go and do that. And if I didn't manage to do that, if I just managed to run 20 meters, I'd be beating myself up and I wouldn't, you know, you'd almost go in that negative cycle. So as you've said, it's that almost reinforcement that, you know, I, I'm taking control of this and empowering yourself to just do a little bit of running, do something to, to slowly start to get out of that, that hole that, you know, I guess that a lot of us can get in. Um, in terms of the, the psychotherapy element of it, you know, where, where did where did that come into it? Well, you know, I think I think most people are familiar with psychotherapy to some extent. Maybe they haven't had it themselves, but they they knew about it. I knew about it. In fact, I'd had some before. But it was, as I mentioned before, it's just that decision. You know, you have to get to that place where you're going to just throw whatever you can at it, you know, and even if you're not sure this is the right thing. And so psychotherapy, you know, it's not easy, but I did it. And, uh, and I can't say, you know, that my therapist at the time was an easy man to get on with, you know, um, he definitely wasn't particularly warm. Um, and he held his boundaries very well, as I recall, it's a long time ago, but if, you know, if I wanted to cancel for any reason, he wasn't going to put up with that either. <laughs> but uh, quite rightly so. Yeah. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, I did it. I did it. Uh, what I really found was this, actually. This is why I became running therapist, is because therapy helped me to focus, with the help of somebody else, it helped me to focus on important things in my life. Um, and drill down deep into them in useful ways. But what I really found was that when I then went to go and run stroke walk with my friend or friends, um, those same subjects would be, you know, up here somewhere inside of me, uh, would seem per pertinent. And then in the process of running, um, somehow you would focus on the subject, you'd, fight, you'd start talking about it, but with none of that sense of um, self-consciousness that you have when you're sitting there in front of somebody in a room, and I think this can be harder if you're a man too, um, you're really worried, you know, what does my face say? Do I look, you know, have I got to look strong? Do I look, you know, you, you're just, people are just generally self-conscious. And so when you're running, you're not facing each other, you're side by side. And I think that makes a great, great difference. The running also helps you get deeper into it. I think it helps, um, helps bring it up, helps you just find the words more easily, I think, because again, you're not watching yourself choosing the words so carefully. You just say whatever words first come up. So it sort of mops up that 10% of you that's always watching you, watching you. Yeah, I like that. And, and was there, was there like at the early days, was there like an individual that that was the person that you'd go running with and you'd find yourself talking to or, or yeah. was it like a couple of people? No, I was very lucky. So I used to play a lot of poker and, um, and, uh, the guy I played with was an American and, um, he was sort of going through marriage problems, which would in the end end up in his divorce. Um, 
but uh, he's at work for himself. He's an entrepreneur. Um, and he and I would go out, you know, he had lots of time on his hands. I did too. He had lots of stuff to talk about, you know, his marriage dissolving. So mm. we would take it in turns talking. And it's strange how, yeah, again, you know, it's, it feels, it feels very therapeutic doing, doing in, in my, in my book and my app, et cetera, I tell people how to do, uh, how to do dynamic running therapy with somebody else. Um, and, it, and there's something, there's something about two people creating a community for each other where you talk about your problems, they talk about that, and the two meld together in some way, you know, yeah. somehow it flows. And when I'm talking about my unhappiness and what I'm doing with it, it's, we get onto his unhappiness and what he's doing. And while we're unhappy about two different things, unhappiness is unhappiness. Yeah, that's great. And again, I can relate to a lot of what you're saying, especially as, as a man. Um, I talk about it a lot, that kind of shoulder to shoulder conversation rather than the sitting in a almost clinical environment, you know, yeah. making eye contact, you know, waiting for that person to almost solve your problems in a way. You know, that was my first experience of a therapy and a doctor surgery sitting there going, are you going to cure what's going on in here? Cause, cause I'm waiting for you to do something about it. So like you said, that shoulder to shoulder running element um, is key. And obviously uh, I know, you know, Jess Robson, who's on our team, um, who started run talk run and um, she's done some content in the app on um, the every mind app as well, which talks just about that, you know, that kind of element of, of running together as well. Um, with that, um, and I want to bring this back to the workplace, because then I want to ask you a couple of selfish questions, because this subject is very close to my heart, because, you know, my dad was a big, big runner. Um, my dad started running groups. And obviously, you know, as I, as I told you on the phone, and, and some people know, you know, my dad obviously ended his um, own life back in 2009. And, you know, I do think my dad's battle of, of whatever he was going through that we never knew, was very much you know, he dealt with it for longer than probably other people could. And I believe a lot of that was down to his running, right? He had, you know, his best friend that I'm still in contact with, they'd go running together and they would just offload. He'd have running groups where he could talk to people. He'd run every day, you know, very, very um, a good athlete as well. Um, but bring this back into the workplace, because I think, again, you know, you kind of mentioned about that, that community of just two people maybe, but the workplace is, is a bigger community. And, and when we're talking about addressing stigma and, and the silence around maybe mental health in the workplace, um, you know, again, if I try and talk to you, maybe in an office setting, I don't believe that may be the right place for you to maybe start sharing. So, you know, in your experience, have you seen this work in a work environment where, where people are maybe going out for running groups and things like that, and that's changing company culture? Well, I have worked a little bit with uh, with corporations. Where was I last year? I was in Amsterdam working with um, with ASICS, mm. um, the shoe brand. Their, their European headquarters are in, in Amsterdam. And they were trying to put together a corporate uh, program uh, for exactly this sort of thing, to encourage employees to go off and exercise together. Um, yeah, I mean, it works. It works. I, I think it's still quite early days, you know, and I think people are nervous about revealing too much to their work colleagues, you know, and also I think some people want a boundary between a work colleague who, you know, what I do at work and what I do recreationally. And mm -hmm. so some people are nervous about doing that. But then I think there are just as many who are not, you know, there are just, just as many who love the idea of, of going to the company yoga or, or whatever it is. And, and, and I think that 
that number's moving really, really quickly in favor of, of those who don't mind. Yeah. Um, in the long term, I don't know if that's going to be great, particularly as we're all working, um, you know, remotely. So I don't know what that means. We'll be doing remote yoga together, yeah. if that's possible. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, the boundary between work and play and rest uh, is an important one, or at least it has been historically. Who knows? Maybe, maybe uh, we'll, all, we'll all be happier than ever just, you know, working 24-7 for the man. Yeah, and I think I think that is the challenge. There was an organisation that we did some work with, and they were they were based in Glasgow. And I think every Friday they all went out for a run. I think it was at lunchtime, and and some people sometimes would come. You know, other people would drop out a couple of weeks, but it was consistent. You know, the same maybe six seven people. You know, every Friday, and and what they said is at the beginning it started with such a small group, and then as more people started to do it, more people almost felt like they could as well. Um, and now it's almost become like a, every Friday at lunchtime, you know, the majority of them go for this run, um, which again, they say is helpful. It's a small office, you know, I think there's about 30 in there, but that just, they say, changes the almost culture in a way. I think so, because, you know, there are people in that office, some of whom are better talkers, some are better salespeople, some are better runners, some are better listeners. Each person's got their own skill. And when you step out of the office, you can find yourself strangely feeling much more competent in this group than perhaps you do in the office mm. and all sorts of things can move around and so i think it's just i think it's a fantastic opportunity to, to shake things up and create company cohesion and improve company culture yeah i agree um and again you know i've, I've the, the book's amazing i definitely recommend people get it running with mindfulness um but if I was, if I noticed maybe a colleague or a friend or a family member is, is struggling and I reached out to them and I said, Hey, you know, you want to go for a run? seems pretty casual, but I know that I kind of want to maybe get that person talking, you know, is there kind of any recommendations that you'd have for me or anyone listening in terms of how do we get that person to, you know, to, to start talking about maybe what they're going through whilst we're out for a run? Oh, that's a good one. I mean, by the way, the English book is called Run for Your Life. So just, just, to be, just to be clear from your question, are you saying, have you been, have you been um, in, in the scenario you're describing, are you, uh, have, you, have you decided to have this run in particular to help somebody who you believe is distressed, who has not invited you into that role, but you think it would be good for them? Yeah, let's go with that. Exactly. So um, a friend struggling, you know, instead okay. of me saying, hey, do you want to go for a, a pint? You know, it could be, hey, you know, do you want to go for a run? Yeah. You know, how do I, how do I, how do I then approach that? Well, I think, um, you know, obviously you don't, I would say for the most part, you don't want to make out like it's going to be any kind of inquiry going on because that doesn't sound like much fun. Um, also, if they're stressed and down, they might not feel like a run. So you might want to position it as a walk, come run. You know, let's put on some running shoes and see if we can get any running going at all. You mm. might, a trick I use sometimes uh, is to, uh, uh, to, to be, you know, to be an example of what it looks like to share a little bit. So I'll start talking about my life um, and, and then leave quiet moments which is obviously an invitation for the other person to jump in with their stuff and you know if you um yeah if you if you talk about your life in broad um sweeps i think then it 
it gives them more of an invitation. If you if you suddenly jump in for 20 minutes on on something, you'll, you'll bore them to tears probably uh, before they're on board. Uh, so yeah, lead by example. Don't freak them out. Start off slowly. Yeah, I like that. And there's that whole vulnerability element as well, isn't it? You know, instead of as you say, <laughs> inviting someone out and then using that as your own therapy session, but you know, just in a way opening up a little bit and then that person might feel comfortable to, to open up yeah. to. Yeah. And I guess just, I mean, this is just me, me coming up. I, I guess no expectations as well, maybe like if that person doesn't want to talk. Yeah. Massive one. Uh, you know, I always say that part of what you're doing out there when you run with them is uh, you should, you should offer zero. If you're really listening, you know, this is part of the skill of being a therapist is listening. It, it feels like you're giving answers, but you're not really, you know, um, in the same way when you're um, running with somebody and listening to them, don't put them under pressure because you start handing out solutions. This is what you should do. Mm. I really hear you saying this, this is what worked for me. And just listen mostly, you know, because otherwise people feel, you know, burdened to process your answer. And, and really, it's much better just to, to ladder it down. I mean, you know, uh, in, in therapy, we talk about laddering. So that just means climbing up or down a conversation. So you just dig a little bit deeper. Um, in couples therapy, you would say, is there anything more? Do you, you know, is there, is there more that you have to say about that? That sounds a little contrived uh, with a friend. But you just, you can do some ahas and, and yeah, oh god wow that must have been really something you know whatever that sort of thing and, and people will carry on they'll understand that you've made space for them but but believe i think the thing to do is to believe that the community that you're creating the community you've offered them in that moment the two of you just together creating a little space that uh, that's more than enough you don't really don't need to come with answers anyway what are your answers good for anyway you don't you know, they're probably the wrong answers at the wrong time, yeah. the wrong person in the wrong place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so people just generally, they're much more grateful just to have you by their side, I think, and, 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 um, and give them space. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And, and if we bring it back to almost, you know, if someone's maybe listening to this or watching this and they're struggling themselves and they've, you know, they, they feel like they want to go for that run, you know, what kind of advice can you give to them? I know you said start small, but should they, have maybe a sort of schedule in place or is there any other tips that you can give for them? Well, start small would definitely be the, the, the biggest one. You know, some people like to journal their runs or get a running app, you know, so they can track their, their uh, small victories. Um, I think that's a good one. Some, some people like to download an app that has music or, or uh, couch to 5k or something that sort of coaches you up there. Mm. I think that's excellent. Uh, I also I have an app called Dynamic Running Therapy, um, which you know if you have anxiety or depression, there's it's totally free. There are programs in there for depression and anxiety. There's also mindful running in there, um, some meditation, that sort of thing. Nice, nice. And th there's always a debate as well, and I get in this debate a lot because my dad my dad was very obsessed with running, right? You know, he would, he was a very good athlete. He was the veteran 1500 meter champion in the UK once. Um, and very, very driven by it. it would come back before the days of apps. He would write it down in his red book. I've still got it upstairs, you know, his red book, the, the, the loop, his times, everything. Right. And, and he would, you know, do that twice a day. 
Um, and I think a lot of that, you know, now knowing my understanding of OCD, um, you know, my dad was very obsessed with a lot of things. And I just saw that as my dad being very driven because I didn't have the understanding of mental illness. But I am very much like that with my own running, right? You know, this thing here, I'm looking at it. How quick am I going? You know, oh, I'll track how many miles I've done each week. And a lot of people have said to me, you know, you need to stop that sometimes. It's just not looking at the watch, just going out and, and being mindful and just focusing on that. How do we find that balance where you want to push yourself, you want to track it, you want to get better, but at the same time, you don't want that to become quite a negative trait and you want to just do it in a mindful way? Uh, well, personally speaking, you know, mindful walking, mindful running, mindfulness in general is all about connect, connecting it to the here and now, to your breath, listening to the crunch of your feet on the ground. Um, it's not about it's not about losing your some people lose themselves in their run in their in their running practice you know they can count the numbers but they're so you know on their watch but they're so they're moving forward into becoming the place and the person they want to be mm. striving and striving and striving i'm going to do this great time today and pushing themselves and and feeling that exhilaration um, that you feel when you're meeting the the challenges of being the person that you want to become um, or even be. But I think the thing about mindfulness is it's very much about being okay with things just as they are. So anytime you're sort of striving to move forward uh, uh, and pushing yourself, then you're doing the opposite of mindfulness. So I think the first thing to do is slow down and either if you're running, then make it a really slow run and make sure that you're not the least bit interested in, in time. Um, you could do, you could go down a path you don't know, it's nice. Find that, find that pace. One of the things I like to do is find that pace, which is just absolutely effortless, effortless, effort, effortless, mm -hmm. effortless, that's it. Um, find that pace, you know, it's like driving and going through into a corner. There's a perfect speed to go in and out of that corner. There is, absolutely is, you know, uh, it's the same thing with running. You could, there's, there's a perfect speed to match the mood that you're in and the fitness that you're in. Um, and, and it feels therapeutic. You can feel it because it. I don't know, you breathe deeply and you start to feel the world coming in. It's not you pushing against the world. Uh, so I would say, you know, ground yourself with mindful running. Take the watch off. That's an easy score, right? Mm. Take the watch off um, and uh, or put it in your pocket or something. Turn it around to do something with it. Put it on the other wrist if you must take it with you. Um, but uh, yeah, just take it slowly and remind yourself that the reason you're here is is to be okay with who you are in the here and now. There's nothing wrong with striving to be a fantastic person, a high achieving, successful, healthy person, but you can't strive all the time because otherwise you'll always be in that future place. I love that. I've never seen, I've never seen running in that way that we are running to become someone that we want to become. And yeah, it's, 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 it hit hard because again, it's, you know, I've been for many runs in the past and I'm getting a lot better at this. I'm sure my dad did this as well, right? You've been many runs in the past where you've just done a 5k or a 10k or whatever it is, a fast, a fast run. And by the end of it, you look and you're disappointed. And then the impact that that must have 
on your overall mental health the rest of the day, you know, the next training session, everything. And really, as you've said, if you just stop trying to strive towards that person you want to become and instead be mindful in that moment, um, it can have a much better impact. Well, the other thing about mindfulness, you know, you can, it, it, mindfulness is really a therapeutic practice. It's about, it's about bringing a non-judgment, non-judgmental mindset to the here and now. So you, you may or may not notice that this moment feels good or bad. I did a good time or I did a bad time. It's cold or it's not cold. None of these things should really matter. Ideally, you can... I mean, not if it's absolutely freezing, you know, that's not going to be great. Yeah. But generally speaking, you know, you're, you're trying to um, get out of that place where you need to measure things um, to just a place where, where you're being. And so, you know, if you do do a, a bad time or less good time than you wanted to, then spend that moment as you reflect on it. Just so, you know, have I really done anything useful in, in you know, damning myself in this moment for you know doing two minutes you know slower yeah doesn't get you, any, doesn't, doesn't get you anywhere and I, the other thing i was going to say is this, sorry to jump in but um you know i don't know about your father um i know that a lot of people there's yeah there's this, there's a even a book out now called running is my therapy a lot of people see running as very therapeutic for their mental health i do too it's one of the major reasons why i do it it's one of the reasons i advocate for people however there's a big caveat there and this is this is the caveat if you have real mental health issues if you are really struggling with a long-term condition of low mood anxiety whatnot um confidence issues uh, regret or whatever it may be then and, and, and the running is a really good plaster, but in between the running or whenever you, whenever you have an injury, you know, it all comes flooding back. What you might really need to do actually is take the plaster off and actually sit down and deal with it a different way, either with a therapist or with a journal or with a support group or change your lifestyle in some other way. But, that, but running, I think very much is a plaster. It's a great plaster, but it doesn't really get down to the nitty gritty of why you're feeling the way you are. It can help you stop feeling that way. I mean, but it, but it, but it can't, it, in between the things, it's going to come back. Yeah, no, I, I, that hits home again, because it's, as, that's what I come to realize with my dad. You look at my dad, again, the general phase of mental illness, someone in their own life was not my dad, right? Being very healthy, driven, et cetera. But my dad was, in our, in my understanding now, it took me a long time to get there was running away from something, you know, he was running away from something a lot deeper that, you know, none of us ever understood. And, and it's funny you said that, you know, my, when my dad was injured, you know, he was, he hated it. He just did not like it, you know, because almost in a way he hadn't got that plaster that he could put on whatever he was dealing with at that time. And I always kind of talk about my dad's busyness, always, always busy. And, and it's almost like those tons of plasters that he's putting on this deep wound that he's not you know, dealing with. Well, that's what we men do, isn't it? I mean, we're, yeah. we're brought up to believe, and it does, it feels good to us to be busy. We like to do things with our hands, fix things and so forth. Uh, and, and that does feel good to us. You know, you get into uh, into a uh, um, into a good space when you're doing that, but you know our, this present generation um, of men is slightly different. That we can talk a little bit more 
in chats mm. like this one here about deeper things. And so, so we don't have to just, you know, the problem with, I think the problem with taking the strategy where if I feel useful, if I'm doing things, then I'm okay is not only am I not okay when I'm not doing things, but ultimately it becomes a bit obsessive. Mm. Must do things all the time, got to do things. Blah, blah, blah. And then soon there's no room for, you know, you just don't know how to relax anymore. And mm. So, yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. I mean, bless your dad. He was probably very much part. Did you say he was a vet? So he was, when he took his own, when he took his own life, he was 45. So um, he classified as a veteran's veteran um, running. I think it's over 40. I think it is. Right. Um, so the veteran category. Um, okay. But I think he was, I think he always joked and said, I only won it because I was the youngest in the, in the race. <laughs> so I think it only just turned into a veteran. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, no, again, amazing man. But again, as you kind of said, obviously tried a lot to, to, you know, mask what was going on, but just, just never, never managed to deal with it. 45 is a bad age for men, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's when, that's when we all start topping ourselves. Yeah. I haven't triggered anybody there. Um, but no, it is a time to take your mental health seriously. You know, mm. if you haven't got your ducks lined up, a lot of men around 45, 55, that's when they start, you know, doing that first lot of inventory. I think there's an inventory around 40, which is, which begins with, you know, what have I done? Mm. What have I still got time to do? Why haven't I done enough? Um, you know, what's wrong with me? And then, yeah, it soon goes down that rabbit hole into what's wrong with me. Why don't people, why haven't I, who, you know, and then there's another, you know, which is a disaster. And then there's another one around 60 around retirement where I think men are inclined to do another inventory, not least of all, because, you know, we're so outcome based, our, our sense of self-esteem is so, so outcome based. Uh, so we're always measuring it, you know, and if I'm not, you know, if I'm not, uh, if I'm no longer a young buck, if I'm no longer powerful and attractive and, and intimidating, well, what am I now? Now I've got mm. to find a new thing. Well, I'll be bloody good at golf. You know, I'll be the best <laughs> golfer there is. You know, I've got to be the best at something. <laughs> I've got yeah. to find some place where I get to feel like a man, right? If it's, you know, I may not feel it in the same way I once did. And all of that's nonsense, really, isn't it? Yeah, and I, just on that, point and then and then we've, we'll go through a little bit of a fire round with a couple of questions but just the um outcome base i really like that we're very outcome based and again I, again when you're looking at the workplace people's careers you know you see people striving for that job promotion they get the job promotion they're still not fulfilled they're striving for more money they're striving and striving and they're always kind of that outcome based you know what, what advice would you give to to people there well, ask yourself what it is you really want. You know, if you drill down deep into that, you'll find there's something about a missing parent or a missing meal when you, you weren't, you didn't feel safe. You didn't have enough of something. Was it, was it enough love? Was it enough respect? Was it enough food? Something's driving you and, and you're under the illusion that when you get there, you'll have lots of it and it'll meet and it'll fill the hole that you had. And you may or may not get there. You may not, you may get a lot of wealth and love and food when you get there, but it may be that all three, none of them are enough to fill the hole. I mean, normally it's not, 
right? It's a disappointment. And then you move the, the target forward a little bit further. So rather than going through all those shenanigans and push, my father died, I didn't know about 20 years ago, 22 years ago. And, and right before he died, he said to me, you know, just don't spend your life trying to push forward and get ahead. Learn how to be okay in the here and now. Mm. You know, my language, not his. Um, but, uh, but that's very much what he said to me. And I try to live by that. I try to live by that because I do think that, that that carrot that we dangle in front of our faces, you know, thinking that one day we'll, we'll, we'll get there and we'll feel safe enough and we'll, you know, it's always fleeting, isn't it? It's always mm -hmm. fleeting. You're better off just asking yourself right now, what the hell is it that I need so yeah, much? Yeah. You know, can I give it to myself now? Um, and, and if I can't give it to myself now, which I probably can't, right? You know, mummy is not coming home anymore. She's not going to come back. Mummy left our family, whatever it was, or, or you know, whatever your, your personal regret is, it's almost impossible to fix it. But what you can do is, is learn to be okay with, uh, with the life that you have. And instead of, instead of chasing uh, something to fit into that loss, just sit there and go, okay, maybe I'm okay with the loss instead, you know, and, and focus on what you do have you know, and, and filling and filling the life that's in front of you rather than, you know, sacrificing the life you have today for the promise of a life you'll have tomorrow, which you pretty much know already isn't, is, is a bad deal. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And again, you know, it took me a long time to get there, but it was exactly that, you know, instead of dwelling on the past and saying to myself, I should have done this, I could have done that, or what if this would have happened, or, you know, being anxious about the future of I won't get married, I won't have kids without my dad, all of that. You know, the lady who helped me massively was very much about gratitude, bringing it back to the now. She gave me like Eckhart Tolle power of now. I'm sure you've probably read that and just um, took me a long time to get there, but realized actually, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that I had an amazing dad for 18 years, right? A lot of people didn't have that, um, that ability. So it, it takes a long time to get there. But as you said, you know, it's trying to control the, the past and the future, which which we can't. And it's kind of just trying to bring it back to the now. And it's such a waste of time. I mean, I love it <laughs> for that reason. And, you know, you, you spend 10 years, you know, regretting the past. Uh, that's 10 more years of, of, of regret you're yeah. going to do in 10 years time. Yeah. You know, just stop it. And I mean, I know that's easier said than done, but if you're, you know, if you're, if you're 60 above ground right now, you know, you're doing better than a lot of other people. Yeah. Um, even even with that pain in your leg, even with that bill waiting on your door, you know, if you've got a roof over your head and a meal, you know, and you can laugh a little bit here and there, um, you know, things could be worse. I love it. I love it. We could talk for ages. Um, but I just want to ask you three quick questions. Um, yeah. You might be a bit, you might think, oh, well, I didn't have any time to plan this one. But the first question that we tend to ask is, Recently, what's the best purchase for under a hundred pounds that you've made? So something that's kind of benefited your life. So under a hundred pound, best purchase recently. I mean, does it have to be a purchase? Can it be something that I've got my hands on recently? Yeah, anything. Okay, I'm gonna actually grab it and show it to you. All right, let's do it. As long as it's PG, William. I'm I'm very happy with this. Okay, can you explain? Well, so 
yesterday, uh, last weekend, along with every other person in London, I decided to get out of London and try and find somewhere in the countryside to go for a, a walk with a friend. I went to the Surrey Hills, again, like everybody else in London, they were all there, and I managed to escape them and find somewhere really nice. And along this path in the middle of nowhere were, was this very heavy stone, which I think is full of iron. And, look, and it was very flat like this, lots yeah. like tile shape, lots of it. Anyway, I just love it. I brought it home. I didn't buy it, but it's better than a purchase. It's given to me by um, Mother Earth. I love that. I love that. Is that. And again, that comes back to mindfulness, right? Sometimes just you know, bringing yeah. it back to nature. We've, we've done some content on that in the app recently, how mindfulness isn't about sitting in a room, legs crossed, you know, with our music playing, it's sometimes just bringing it back to nature and going for that walk and, you know, as you've done, pick up, pick up that yeah. stone and bring it home. Yeah. Nice. Favorite book you've read recently? Uh, I read, I've read a few good ones recently, actually. Um, fiction would be uh, a John Le Carre book that's out at the moment. Good old spy thing he's got out at the moment. It's in the top 10. I can't remember the title of it right now. Um, nonfiction is a book on connections, um, which I can't remember the title of either right now, but it's a well-known book all about the link between connections and being connected to your... Is it Lost Connections? Is it Lost, no, connections? It's lost connections, thank you. Yeah. Exactly. Yo, is it Johan Hari? I think Johan Hari, yeah. That's right, I knew you would have read it. Um, that, uh, that really blew me away. Mm. Uh, those, those would be my best books. Nice. And then um, finally, I think you've alluded to this actually when, in, when you were talking. What can someone do today to help them to be better tomorrow? Um, pretty much anything. It's not so much what you do. I mean, I like, I, like to, <laughs> I like to iron my shirts, which I do about, or actually I don't even like ironing my shirts more I like ironing that's the thing I like to iron least of all I like to iron t-shirts and I like to iron napkins napkins are really easy to iron yeah, like yeah. ready square yeah. all you got to do is flatten that bad boy out and I put some music on and you know it's the easiest thing I can do with my day and I feel great I'm like let me see how flat I can get this. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's very doable so like Matt Haig says just pick anything uh, that's that's uh, that's doable. I, I do think a bit of variety is good as well. Try to, if you really feel like you're in a rut, try and do something different. Take yourself off to a museum, walk down a river somewhere that you haven't walked down before, get some fresh air, get moving. Love it, love it. Um, finally, where can people find out a little bit more about you as well and the app? Uh, so the app is called Dynamic Running Therapy. As I said, it's 100% free, uh, stuff in there for anxiety, depression, mindful running, meditation, you buy that. It's only, uh, it's an iOS only, I'm afraid. So that's uh, Apple. Um, uh, the book you can find on Amazon, all good bookstores, Run For Your Life. Um, the, uh, I'm on Instagram at D underscore ring therapy. I'm on Twitter at Pullen Therapy. Nice. Uh, and what we we'll do is we'll uh, link to the... We'll link to all of that in the show right. notes as well. So people can find Fantastic. it. Out. How do I find your app, by the way? I would like uh, to get your I would like to get your app. 
Yeah, so we'll have to set you up. So obviously, um, every business that signs up to it gets access for their employees. So there's a little bit oh, of a, right. uh, an access control, but um, we're happy to to set you up on it, William. And it'd be great to get your feedback. And and I'm just always I'm thinking already. You know, we've got some mindfulness exercises in there, but it might be nice to work with you on on a couple of those as well. So I'll definitely be in touch about that. But I just want to say thank you for for coming on to the podcast, and I've learned a lot from it, and I'm sure the listeners have as well. Thank you so much. It was good fun. Nice to meet you, Paul.